Now, a young girl went to her mum and she asked, Mum, what is it like to be and for you to have the perfect daughter? And the mum replied, well, sweetie, I don't know, you're going to have to go and ask your grandmother. (laughs) I don't know what your experience of parenting is. I don't know if you're a parent here this morning. Uh, But we're going to be looking at courageous parenting. And if you have your Bible, please turn to Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Someone able to to advance the? Maybe I'll. On off button. There we go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, some of you may be here with your children, and think, "Well, that'll do, David. Let's just end it right there. Let's uh, let's return to worship." Kids, children, listen, read the Word of God, obey me. Well, Paul doesn't finish there, of course. He says, for this is right, honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of of the Lord. Do you know when Paul wrote this letter to the church, the society of the time was very different in their parenting. Fathers were very different. Theologian William Barclay, he writes this, a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. Some of you parents may be sitting there thinking, well, what's wrong with that? He could take the law into his own hands, for the law was in his own hands, and he punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. I tell you, we ought to be shocked to that approach to parenting. John Stott, he writes, the overarching theme of Ephesians is that through Christ's reconciling work, there is now one multinational, multicultural family of God. So human fathers are to care for their families as God, the Father, cares for his And incidentally, mothers are surely to be included too. Certainly, it is parents, both father and mother, who are referred to in verses 1 to 3. So it is entirely legitimate for the Good News Bible to put, parents, do not treat your children in such a way as to make them angry. Instead, raise them with Christian discipline and instruction. You know, the encouragement then is for both fathers and mothers to be self-controlled, gentle, patient educators of their children. And you know, it is one thing to listen to that, to read that sentence, to sit here and nod our heads. It is quite another to put it into practice when you've got one child 
running around the aisles of Tesco and the other child having a meltdown in the chocolate aisle. And you may say, well, it never happened to you? Has it never happened to you? I tell you, it has happened to us. Not quite in that way. We were in Safeway at the time. Safeway don't exist anymore. (laughs) Not because we were in there, but... (laughs) Julie was on her own with Megan and Matthew. We have three children. I'll be selling a few stories as we go through. God bless them. But Julie was in there with uh, Megan. She was, oh, she was just kind of a, a, a biggish toddler. Not, not a biggish toddler, a, an oldish, an older toddler. And Matthew at the time, he was, he was just a baby, really. And Megan had taken to kind of getting Matthew in a bit of a headlock. And then, I don't know if it's her way of loving him or something, I don't know. But a bit of a headlock like this. And uh, true to form, Julia was down the aisles of, of Safeway and Megan again just grabbed Matthew like this and started to headlock him. Now prior to this, she had read or heard from somewhere, well, you know, sometimes it's quite good if your child is, is doing this or, or, or other things to demonstrate on them what they are doing and in that way they can kind of understand better perhaps. So there we are. We, well, I wasn't there. Julie then told me about it later. She's there in, 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 uh, in Safeway. So she gets Megan in a headlock like this, right? Two years old, two and a half years old, I don't know. And, and was, I mean, not, not like, but you know, enough just so that she could see. At that, this older lady walks down the aisle. You know where this is going, eh? Well, she, she looked at Julie and she came up to Julie and said, my dear, or words to this effect, that is the worst parenting I have ever seen. How dare you treat, well, she's turned out all right, doesn't she? But how dare you treat your daughter in this way? Listen, we have three children. Have I always been self-controlled, gentle, patient, With them over the years, have I lovingly corrected them? Have I always disciplined them? Have I cared for them as my heavenly Father loves, corrects and cares so perfectly for me? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Julie and I, we've enjoyed our children so much and we still do. We have so many wonderful memories happy times and we can look back with a smile and give thanks to God you know I remember many times we my wife's half Italian we'd go to Italy to visit family and uh, bits and pieces and we'd travel by train and uh, one time we're on the train and we, you know it's a long train journey isn't it these kind of things so we we would make up some games and do some stuff and one time we were there the carriage was almost empty really and we had two you know the two rows of, of chairs so I said look let's see who can get up on, on the arms of the chairs, you know, feet off the ground, and stay there the longest. You know, and the train's doing this, and we're, we're up on there. And uh, so we all had a go. Well, Julie didn't, but we all, everyone else had a go. And Karina, of course, she was the youngest, she was the lightest, and she was actually pretty strong. So she outstripped us by a mile. She was up there. Well, Julie was then talking to this other lady, and... Uh, and we're all fooling around. And, th- and this lady, t- t- speaking Italian, of course, and, and she says to Julie, so, so how many children have you got? 
And Julie says, well, well, three. And the woman said, one, two, three, but what, what about that one? Point, pointing at me, right? What about that one? You've got four children. Just... Now, I didn't know whether I should be flattered that I, you know, I look so young. This was many years ago now, or um, quite embarrassed that she thought I was behaving like a 10-year-old. But, um, but there we are. You know, sometimes uh, when Karina was born, Matthew would get her out of the Moses cot and somehow pick his way over all the toys that were strewn on the floor and present her in the next room to Julie and say, Mum, she was crying, I've brought her through. You know, he's like two, three years old carrying her through. Like and one time we were in the, in the kitchen, we heard this laughter coming from Karina. And Matthew had got her out of a Moses basket, laid her on the floor, and it, we went in. He was standing on her, right? <laughs> bouncing up and down like this. Well, she was loving it. She was, hey! Well, you can imagine, Julie was in there. <laughs> you know, we will look back and we can smile, we can thank God. But, you know, it wasn't always easy. There were also tough times. And we felt out of our depth, out of control, sometimes out of our minds. One time when Megan was small, we remember throwing a baby book that we had across the room. I mean, seriously, we were at our wits' end because she just was not doing anything that this book was telling us she was supposed to be doing. And we sat there, and I, w I won't say which one of us it, it, it was because it would embarrass Julie, but, <laughs> but we, we threw it across the room. We were desperate at times. When we moved on to solids, I was able to participate more on the feeding front and would enthusiastically announce that the pureed vegetables, you remember pureeing vegetables? Now we eat none of this jar stuff. Julie spent hours in the kitchen pureeing up sprouts and spinach and pear and then putting it all in the ice cube trays and then, oh gosh. So I, I would feed them from time to time, and down would go the vegetables, the spinach, the liver. And uh, I would then proudly and enthusiastically announce, it's all gone. Only for a few moments later, for it all to come back again. <laughs> you know, we tried to be the best parents we could, but on the first night, we realized that it wasn't going to be easy sharing our lives with a baby. And we brought Megan home. We put her in a Moses basket next to our bed. Oh, man, she was so noisy. You know, snuffling and fidgeting. After a couple of hours, we put her in the bathroom. Now you're sitting there thinking, do we really want to listen to this guy about parenting? She wouldn't settle there. So we got her out of the bathroom. And in the end, and I tell you, 28 years later, this is still such a precious memory for me. I took her, and the only way she would sleep, I put her on my chest 
and we slept. I mean, I, I dare move. Yeah? And we're just there, and she slept. And it was, I mean, what a, it was glory. I mean, I thought heaven was just beckoning me home. You know, it's just fantastic. Megan, uh, Matthew and Karina, they, they didn't even get half a night in our room. They just went straight in their own room after that. Yeah, we had so much fun. We had laughter. We had joy. But we also had struggles. We learnt on the job. And by the grace of God, he has seen us through. And over the past 28 years of parenting, two things have really helped carry us through. The first thing is knowing the grace of God coming and meeting us, often at times of our greatest need. The second thing is knowing the loving care and support of our local church. We also had the uh, mixed blessing of family and parents nearby. Um, on the whole, by far, it's a wonderful blessing. But of course, not everyone has that. And so probably for most people whose who's family maybe are a long way away or not involved for some reason, God and the church are two crucial components as we bring up our children. Someone once said it takes a village to raise a child. And this morning I'd like to suggest to you that although it is primarily the parents' responsibility to raise their children, I do think that in a very appropriate but not interfering way, the church also has a massive part to play, whether that be through prayer, practical support, cheering on from the sidelines, or indeed 101 small ways. The church family together is to help parents to train and instruct their children in the Lord. So this morning, my purpose is twofold. Firstly, I want to encourage parents to look to God and prayerfully to commit or to recommit to being courageous in their parenting, seeking to glorify God in all things as they uh, look to bring them up in the Lord. And the second thing, I'd love to encourage you as a church family together to excel in nurturing an atmosphere of courageous parenting. Why do I use the word courageous, par uh, courageous parenting? Well, you know, I think that parents can feel overwhelmed. They can feel anxious. They can feel fearful. They can feel depressed. And then they can feel guilty for feeling all of those things. Parenting comes with pre-packed fears. We fear failing the child. We fear forgetting the child, losing the child, not being able to cope. Will we have enough money, enough answers? What about school, their friends? What if they don't have friends? Will I able, ever be able to do their homework? I'll answer that for you now. No, you probably won't. You won't have time to do all their homework. The number of projects that we have done. We, we had a joke with them that we, when they came home after submitting the, the project, we would say to them, so what mark did we get? What mark did we get? As they get older, we can be fearful about their social life, social media, peer pressure, internet access, smartphones, without question. 
I believe it is much tougher for parents raising children now than it was for us 25, 28 years ago. James 4, 6 says these six most encouraging words. It says, but he gives us much more grace. And so if you're a parent here this morning with younger children, or maybe you're considering uh, having children, or you're not yet married and that's on your agenda for some point in the future, and you're listening to think, oh gosh, listen, he has much more grace. And the grace was sufficient to see us through 28 years ago to date. He has more grace for you, and he will carry you through. So parents, what are we to do? Church, what are we to do? Do we go passive? Do we close our eyes and hope for the best? No. The answer is to trust God, trust his word, draw on his grace and mercy. Pull together and take courage. Take courage. With God's help, be the best mum, the best dad that you can be. You know, Psalm 137 Verse 3 tells us that children are a gift from God, a blessing. And if we're to be courageous parents, we need to always remember that children are a gift from God. They're not an inconvenience. They're not a mistake. They're not something to be tolerated or to be ignored. God, okay, underline this. God has given you this child or these children for you to care for, to teach and instruct and to help shape for his glory. And it's an amazing privilege. And so when we face doubts or heartache or mountains, and you will, or you have been, or at some point in the future, you can look forward to it. This should always be the starting point to know that children are a gift from God. It fills us with courage because we know that he will be with us. And before they were our children, they were his. They were his. And so if we're going through a tough time, and we say, God, I really need your help. Is he going to abandon you in your time of need? Yet he has more grace. They are his children that he has entrusted into your care. Jesus says almost nothing about parenting. Jesus doesn't comment on the practicalities of how to bring up your children, feeding, schooling, what time they go to bed. I mean, that, I've always thought that would be so handy, wouldn't it? If, you know, you could look up in Mark chapter 6, verse 14, when a child is eight till 10 years old, they shall go to bed at eight o'clock, said Jesus. I mean, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Now, now so Johnny, it's five to eight, it's uh, nearly bedtime, and he kind of goes in the corner and, now Jesus, let, uh, uh, Johnny, let, let me just remind you what Jesus said. Oh, that'd be great. Sadly, he didn't. He doesn't say anything about pocket money. He doesn't say anything about how many sweets they could eat or should eat or shouldn't eat. But what I do notice is this. 
As far as I know, there are only three instances recorded in the Gospels of parents coming to Jesus. There was Jairus, there was a Canaanite woman, and there was a, a, a father. And each of these parents had a child in great need. The father had an epileptic son. The Canaanite woman's daughter was tormented by an evil spirit. And Jairus' daughter was ill on the point of dying. And these three parents are at the end of themselves. They are desperate. And in their desperation, they call out to Jesus. And for me, it is as if God has included these three accounts for at least two reasons. The first reason is to say, listen, parenting isn't always easy. Sometimes it's going to be tough. Sometimes your child is going to be ill or sick or bullied. Parenting is not going to always be easy. The second reason that I feel that these have been included is that it tells us that in all things, go to Jesus and talk with him about your children. And so this is the priority and the power of prayer. Jesus never turned one away. In the story of Jairus, the Canaanite mother, and the father of the epileptic boy, Jesus answered their request. He answered the prayer. In fact, he prioritised their request. Listen, friends, Jesus will never say that he doesn't have time to hear you. He never says, sorry, I, I'm just a bit busy right now. I've, could you come back later? He never will say that to you. Every time you come to him with a need, a request, in joy, in pain, or in deep concern, he will never turn you away. The priority of prayer in your child's life is right up there. It's so important. And God wants to be involved with you and your children. He wants us to talk with him about our children. He wants us to include him in all aspects of family life. And to be frank, in family life, there are sometimes highs and lows, and there's an awful lot of mundane. There is. I mean, that, that's no reflection on our family life. But there is... There, there are moments, there are months in the early years, all you see are nappies. And you can then progress that through the years. But God wants you to talk to him about that. You see, God wants to meet you in the nappies. He does. I'm not kidding you. He wants to meet you in the mundane or what you consider to be the mundane. Every time a parent prays, Christ responds. And his big message is, bring your children to me. Talk to me. You know, Julie's been really consistent with this throughout our marriage. Over the years, she has met up with various ladies in our church to pray for each other's children. It might only be a few moments, a few minutes, maybe it could be longer sometimes. But to pray with others for your children can be so helpful. Actually, 
vital, vital. She has also consistently fasted each week for the, for the family. In my own regular prayer times, I will often invest time praying for my children. Even now, you never stop being a parent. All my children are in their 20s. Pray most days. Pray for them. Pray, pray for their family and their family to come. You know, a few years ago, a number of our parents in our church were having various struggles with their teenagers. And we just came together one evening. And it was a great evening, actually. It's very open, just able to talk freely. And even that was a great encouragement to know that you're not the only one that's having difficulty in some aspects of your, your parenting. The upshot of it was, was that we then for a number of months began to meet together every now and then. And one of the ladies that was in the group at the time, she kind of became our very own Selwyn Hughes, you know, doing the everyday with Jesus kind of thing. She, she did a magnificent job in sending out a weekly update just to the group of parents that, that were there. This didn't go out to the whole church. And on there was the list of people, to children and teens that we were to pray for. And then there were prayer points. And then there were scriptures to encourage. Man, it was magnificent. It was just so brilliant. And after a while, we felt that phase came to an end. But that wasn't before we saw many answers to prayer. The power of prayer. Lamentations 2.19 says, Arise, Cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children. Parents, we can do this. Church, you can do this. We may not understand everything about parenting. We may not feel we are the best parents. We may not even feel we're a natural parent, but we can understand and we can do this. Jesus never turned anyone away who prayerfully came for the sake of their children. He never turned anyone away who prayerfully came full stop. To be a courageous parent is to become consistently a praying parent parents. Now if your Bible, if you have your Bible, please just turn to Mark 5 verse 21. Mark 5 21. It says this, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, so this is Jairus, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Verse 22, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now, this is what I'm saying to you. It's a large crowd around Jesus. Do you suppose that out of that large crowd, there aren't many requests coming? Many people saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
And yet Jairus comes. Oh, hold on. Jesus and Jairus. Here we go. Prioritizing. And if you read on, you will see that Jesus heals the woman. But during this delay, Jairus' daughter dies. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And this leads us to our third point of courageous parenting. Keep looking to Jesus. I'm assuming that while the crowd was marvelling at Jesus healing the woman, Jairus is crushed by the news that his daughter has died. It's a stark contrast right here. At that moment, Jairus can either follow people's advice, don't bother Jesus anymore, go and bury your daughter, or he can keep his eyes fixed on the Saviour. Now, I'm not against receiving advice. In fact, I welcome it into my life. But when that advice causes me to take my eyes off Jesus, then an alarm bell begins to ring in my spirit. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Jairus had a choice to believe God for his daughter or to walk on without Jesus and bury his daughter. And if you read to the end, we see that Jesus does go with Jairus and his daughter is raised from the dead. There's a saying that says, a man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back on the crowd. The man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back on the crowd. And if we're to be courageous parents, then there are times when we need to turn our back on the crowd if we're going to lead our families in a godly way. Thoughts like, you're a useless parent. Just give up, or the situation is hopeless. They will try to take your eyes off Jesus, off parenting courageously and put you down here like this. They'll never be well behaved. You'll always have a toddler who has tantrums. What kind of a parent are you anyway? You see, we have these thoughts. Maybe we have very unhelpful, ungodly people in our lives that are telling you those things. Oh, just leave the master. Your daughter's dead. Just leave him. Just go back. You're a useless parent. You're a terrible parent. Just, just forget it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? If you want to lead your family, you've got to turn your back on these things. And say, no, actually, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm not the perfect father. But you know what? I turn my back on that and say, Jesus, I will be the best that I can be in you. 
You know, parents, you need to take courage to turn your back on negative thoughts, on ungodly, faith-sapping advice. Stand with godly people in the church and hold on to James 1.5, which says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously without finding fault. You know, Luke 15, Jesus tells a story of, of the prodigal son. You know, for many years, our son was a prodigal son. He lost his way. He stopped coming to church. And Julie and I, we had to turn our back on negative thoughts. Consistently turn our back. I mean, this was years it was a painful time. Some nights I would, in fact, quite a few nights, I would lay awake in my bed crying and praying, asking God to bring my son home. Julie would pray in his bedroom. We placed Bible verses under his mattress. We blessed his room. In the church at that time, a song that was regularly sung was, you know, water you turned into wine. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. And I'll be sitting on the front row, standing on the front row, worshipping, Every time this song came on, it, it kind of became my anthem for my son. And I'd raise my hands and tears would flow down my face and I would pronounce and announce, our God is greater, our God is stronger. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can stand against? And I'd say, God, my son, Bring back my son. This is parenting. This is parenting. Now, please don't get the wrong end of the stick. He, he, di he didn't become a wild child. You know, he didn't go into drugs and all that carry on. Praise God. But he was nowhere in God. He was doing his own thing. It's like we were kind of parenting... And, and he was there, and then he'd kind of go into this other room, you know, this other life. And we thought, oh, what's, what's in there? What, what's in that room? What's in that life? You know, who are these friends? Who are these people? We had no idea. Oh, man, it's terrible, terrible. So painful. But you know, the story of the prodigal son is actually a story of the waiting father. A father who each day went to look down the road to see if his son was returning. And it's a picture of God and his great loving kindness for his children. We knew that our heavenly father was watching and waiting for his return. And that gave us hope and courage to continue. After some years, the Lord did touch his heart and he's now living for God as never before. I mean, glory to God. But, you know, we needed to keep our focus and attention on the Lord Jesus. We needed to keep praying, keep trusting, and keep 
parenting. You've got to keep parenting. You can't just let go and close your eyes and hope for the best. You've got to keep parenting. Courageous parenting. Well, my time is really gone. Sorry. But some closing thoughts. I'll just give them as headlines. You can take them. You can leave them. Uh, We have not been perfect in these. Some of them we've done quite well. Some of them we haven't done so well in. But these are a few headlines that have helped us over 28 years of parenting. Are you ready? Don't be alarmed. There's a lot of them, but I'll go real quick. Set clear boundaries. Children who have clear boundaries for how they're to behave and receive loving correction when they step over that line, they are more secure and actually they are happier. Parents, discuss in private, agree in public. Discuss how you are going to be with your children in private. Always agree in public. If not, your children will divide and conquer you. Three, parents, it takes the whole church to raise a child. I think particularly for single parents. I mean, grace to you. And there is grace for you. Find friends, trusted friends, particularly in the church you can talk to, lean on, especially in the difficult and lonely times. Your home is a home, it is not a hotel. Sometimes children take it and treat it like a hotel. You may want to adopt rotors and chores and lists. Why? You know, when we tried to do this, our children, they were great at getting out of it. They were great about forgetting it. And then, you know, we'd forget about it. And then we'd reinvent it again and re-engineer it and put it on the fridge or whatever. They were convinced we were into child labour. I mean, they were. That wasn't our heart at all. We wanted to instruct them so that they could be capable adults when they had their own home. Don't fall into the trap of comparison. Oh, little Johnny's got two teeth. Oh, mine's got nine teeth. Mine hasn't got any teeth. Walking, talking, yours talking. Oh, mine's not talking yet. Well, you're talking yet. Yet school, what school are you in? Oh, we're in that school. Oh, we're in that school. Education, mine's got 10 GCSEs. Mine's not even taking GCSEs. University, you against university? Just don't go there. Don't even go there. Know the season you're in and invest time and energy and emotion in the right place. Quality time comes from spending large quantities of time. This is what I have found over 28 years of parenting. If you want those quality time moments, you've got to, generally speaking, you've got to spend the quantity of time with them. Parents, you are not helpless with your toddler's tantrums. Require obedience in the small important things in private so that they will respond positively to the big things in public. Parent, from neither passivity or anger, there is a middle road. So don't just sit back and do nothing when your toddler, child or teenager needs to be lovingly corrected, but at the same time, don't respond out of anger when the whole thing has got so bad and you're so embarrassed or you're so angry. Hey, listen, there's just a real middle road there. 
Don't say wait until your dad gets home or wait until your mum hears about this. You deal with it. If you're a mum, if you're a dad, you deal with it. Because if you say, if Julie was to say, oh, you just wait till your dad comes back and he hears about it and I come back and I hear about it and I deal with it, okay, it gets dealt with. But what has she just done? My wife has just completely undermined her authority in the home. So husband and wife, mother, father, or if you're a single parent, you have no choice but to be the one who has to deal with it. Don't publicly discipline your child, exposing them in front of others. Always parent from a place of 1 Corinthians 13. Now, love is patient, love is kind. We want to shape the character of the child, but we also want to build the character of the child. And actually, if you, if you publicly re- discipline a child, that can cause so much harm to them if they become embarrassed or they feel ashamed of what it, where possible, Take them into a private place. The way you parent your child will shape how they view their Heavenly Father. The ultimate goal of parenting is to train your children. You're a parent, you're not a pal. You're a parent, not a pal. As a Christian, your first calling as a parent is not to be their buddy. It is not to do whatever it takes to make them happy. It is primarily to love them enough to train them, to teach them to grow into adults who will live for Jesus. Love God above all else. Live well for him and make excellent life choices. That is your key role as a parent. Now, we are also great friends with our children. We love our children. We love doing stuff with them. And I think, I trust, I hope you can ask them later, they would say that they are also that they consider us also to be great friends. But we're always parents first. I may be a great friend to my, pe- to my children. I'm always their dad first. Let me close with this letter to a son by his dad on the 17th birthday. Dear son, as long as you live under this roof, you will follow the rules. In our house, we do not have a democracy. I did not campaign to be your father. You did not vote for me. We are father and son by the grace of God. I consider it a privilege and I accept the responsibility and accepting it, I have an obligation to perform the role of a father. I'm not your pal. The age difference makes such a relationship impossible. We can share many things, but you must remember that I'm your father. This is a hundred times more meaningful than being a pal. You will do as I say as long as you live in this house. You are not to disobey me because whatever I do is motivated by love. This may be hard for you to understand at times, but the rule holds. I wish I'd seen this letter 25 years ago. (laughs) You will understand perfectly. I've used this line before. You will understand perfectly when you have a son of your own. Until then, trust me, love dad. Now, sometime later, after his dad had passed away, the son wrote this letter back to him. Said, dad, this letter 
and these feelings have been with me for a long time. It did take having a son to realise how right you were. I now have two sons of my own and I'm sounding more like you every day. I wished we'd had more time together. I wish I'd had a chance to tell you how much I have learned. Thank you for the time we did have. You taught me well, Dad. I'm just sorry it took so long. Love your son. Church, be a family together that promotes and affirms courageous parenting. Pray for, care for, support where possible mothers and fathers as they raise and bring up their children in the ways of God. Pay close attention to single parents or to families that are going through particularly difficult seasons.